concerns. Christine, do you have any updates? Okay. Uh, yes, uh, I had a prayer chain request this week from uh, Elaine Nydick, uh for her brother Tom. Tom had had a serious episode last Saturday night, um, heart attack, and uh, his lungs are severely diseased, really. And Tom is just, the good Lord is giving him strength right now whatever will be his will for Tom. Um, we have been praying very much for that. Tom has had a connection with a chaplain from hospice, which has been a very, very good thing for him spiritual-wise. Uh, also, keep Davy Coble in your, in your hearts and in your prayers. His surgery is going to be on Friday at Lancaster General Hospital. And uh, Davey hasn't been feeling good at all for the last few weeks. And right now, today, he's here, but uh, he's not feeling that good at all. So really keep him in your prayers. And he was just telling me this morning he'll be off for a whole month from work. So that's quite an ordeal, too. And the healing time that it takes for something like this, it's the kidneys. And he's had the kidney stones, and they haven't been able to dissolve them. And it's just made a big problem, so now it's surgery. So it's very serious. So we just keep everyone in our prayers, and we have quite a prayer list that we have on our prayer guide. And lots of these people, I'm getting pretty many updates. We keep some of them on. I know on our prayer, I need to explain sometimes, we have on here, we only keep people on about a month. But, you know, I do check with people, and if they want them on longer, we do keep them on. But... Uh, we try our best with all of it. Lots of prayers all the time. And I got to talk to my, I shared last week that my family doctor, who I'm very close to as a doctor and a friend, and um, I have a prayer shawl to take to her, and I, I uh, connected with her, and she called me. And um, I, I was just glad to be able to talk with her and give her our sympathy and prayers. And she said, yeah, she said, oh, a prayer shawl, oh, my. She said, you know what? Right now, she said, things are so overwhelming, and she was related about her husband. She said, oh, he was a real sweetheart. And, and this lady is a Christian lady, and a great woman, not only a great woman, but doctor also. And um, that's what makes things so different in her own way of how she really is in her life also. And the prayer shawl, she said, okay, you come to see me in September. That's when my next appointment is. She said, then, she said, we could set up a time now, but you know what? She said, I think by that time, I will appreciate that prayer shawl even more so. Because I think by that time, maybe things are really, it's, it's being very hard for her of sinking in. And she's busy, she's back to her practice and working. But I was just glad to connect, being it is my doctor. It's just wonderful knowing people are there and, and the doctors and nurses and things, how they're praying. And after that, Paul and I were at the eye center at the meds at the med center on last Friday, and right away the nurses and everybody's connecting that 
oh, this doctor saved my dad's life and all this, you know. I heard three different people all last week after I heard that of his death, how he, all of a sudden I'm hearing from people that I wasn't even connected, you know, how he saved lives. So, yeah, it's a great loss, and it's a great loss for her, I can tell. It's really, it's really tough. Right back. Tina? Um, I just wanted to report, I know my mom had my Aunt Dora Taylor put on the, the prayer list. Um, she had fallen last Saturday at her neighbor's and passed out, not tripped over anything, but passed out while at her neighbor's. She's 80-some years old um, and hit her head and was unconscious. Um, I got the word on Monday because I work with a girl that's a neighbor of my Aunt Dora's. So we got the information. I got a hold of her son, my cousin Jeff, and we asked him to please keep us, you know, updated on what's going on with her. So Tuesday uh, morning, we texted him and said, hey, how's Aunt Dora? The the girl and I at work, and Jeff said, it's not looking good. He said, we're meeting with the doctors at noon. We have to decide. She was unresponsive, um, but not on a ventilator, so she was breathing on her own because she had a brain bleed. And they also found a smaller one that they're thinking that's probably why she passed out in the first place, because she had this smaller brain bleed. Um, so he said, it's not looking good. He said, we're meeting with the doctors at noon today, and I'll keep you updated. Well, we didn't hear from him, and Wednesday about 2 o'clock my phone actually rang rather than a text my cell phone at work and I said to Sherry oh I don't want to answer this and it was Jeff and I said hi Jeff how are you he said really good I said oh he said I just went into mom he said I came at lunchtime to visit her today she's sitting in the chair she's awake and she's talking wow. I said praise the Lord I said, Jeff, we have been praying. I said, Mom, put her on the prayer chain at church. He said, Tina, everybody's telling me that they've been praying for Mom. And he said, I honestly believe, like, Tuesday there was no hope. They were making end-of-life plans. And they were going to take her off of all the medications and see what happened. And Wednesday at lunchtime, she was sitting in her chair. Her memory was good. She knew who he was. Her speech was a little slurred. But he said she's, and he sent me a picture, and there she sat. Well, I mean, her head is all bunged up, and it was an ordeal. But praise God, she's alive, and she's going to be okay as far as they know. So that's wonderful news. Um, also, if you could please keep Doug's mom in your prayers. Um, we've had a week. Um, she stepped out of the shower last Thursday, had excruciating pain upper in her back and down her leg. Um, and it's, long story short, we took her by ambulance on Saturday to get x-rays because she, she can't, couldn't walk. Uh, she couldn't even move. Um, and I didn't know whether she fractured something. So before we, we thought that she was told it was sciatic. She does have arthritis really bad. But she was in so much pain that I just wanted to get her to the hospital and get an x-ray so we knew what we were dealing with. Um, it does turn out, we got her a doctor's appointment on Wednesday then as a follow-up from the ER. 
they did determine there that it, they're pretty sure it's just her arthritis. She does have arthritis in her neck. She has it in her leg. She has it. She's, it's, her arthritis is bad. But they put her on a steroid, and since they did that, it seems to really be helping. We are getting her in-home PT and a visiting, well, not nurse, but personal care aide. We are getting some help. But just keep them all and all of us in your prayers. It's, uh, it's getting better, but we have a long way to go. This is, uh, I appreciated what Tina's uh, uh, testimony about the answered prayer. And this is just a reminder of what happened years ago. Um, Jerry Miller was facing having a leg amputated. Do you remember that? And Karen and Paul Baker felt led to pray for him right away went and the whole congregation prayed for him. Meanwhile, his daughter Marie was downstairs preparing a meal. And um, as we prayed for Jerry, she received a phone call that said amputation was not going to be necessary. And that is, that's just, and I don't know that we ever gave the Lord credit for that. And I just want to remind all of you the Lord really works, oh. and quickly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you, John. Yeah, prayer works. That's not just a, that's not just a saying. It's a fact. Prayer works. Who else? Elaine. Hello, everybody. Is this? No. When I called Christine earlier this week. I picked up the phone and I started dialing and I put it down because I thought I'm not even going to be able to tell her my problem because I'm going to be crying. And I went about and I got this little, what I call my pings, and his voice is, you call her. I called her. She said, hello. And I, <laughs> I started getting emotional and crying. And she, sweet Christine, I love her. She says, I said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. She says, just take your time. I'm here. And she listened. And so I said, on Sunday, just, you just make that brief statement she did because I'm not going to be able to, to embellish or add anything to that without bawling. And I was telling her, she said, do you still want to do that? And I said, yes, I do. I, I want to say something now. She, said, she looked at me and I said, Something happened to me overnight. I said, I think I can do this. So here's what, first the health part of it. He had his heart attack, and they did it with one blocked artery. They did surgery. He, he came out of it with flying colors. The problem is he's had COPD. He's been smoking since he was 14, and that played a huge factor in the problem he's having now, obviously. And so they gave him the regular kind of oxygen, they did something else, another kind of breather for him. And two days ago, they came up with this, I think the technology may, might be kind of new, because now they took the ventilator off him, and now it's something that, I haven't been there yet, but that's in, in tandem with helping him to breathe. 
it has something to do with strengthening his heart. It's new technology. But the problem is millions of people live regular lives after having a, a, an artery that closes with a stent. The problem with Tom is, and they're baffled by this, his vital signs are fantastic. I overheard one of the doctors say, shoot, his, his blood pressure is better than mine. But there's some disconnect, his body, and it, a lot of it has to do with the COPD, but they said that's, that's not what's hampering. They don't understand why they can't get him to breathe on his own when all his vitals are so fantastic. So they've tried different things, and now there's this new thing. He's awake. He cannot speak, but he can hear if we go to visit. So that's the, and the hospice um, minister that visited him is my sister-in-law, Diane's minister. That's another story. But Tom clicked with this guy, and he's helped him along, and he goes to visit Tom. Tom is still very critical, but he's, we haven't lost him yet, and I'm not giving up on him. So the second part of my little talk here today is at 3.30 this morning, something woke me up. And and there was an owl. This sounds nutty, but stay with me. There was an owl in the tree outside my bedroom window that started hooting and howling his little beak off. And it woke me up. And I just laid there and listened. And I said to the Lord, thank you so much. This is a gift because the Lord knew I've been nutty about owls my whole life. I said, thank you for sending this owl. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. You have something you want to tell me, right? And he said, yep. And he imparted some things that I won't mention here because he gave me some things he wanted me to talk to Tom about. And I said, it changed my whole perspective and it riled me up to the point where, you know what, I'm, I'm going to try to say something to the people in the church. So Christine checked with me. She said, "Are we? you still, don't wanna, you still want me to do this? I said, yeah, but I'm really, I'm wound up. I, I can get through this. So the point is... He just knocks my socks off every day that the, that he, the Lord is with me. I mean, if, I say this every time I get to talk. If you haven't turned your life over to the Holy Spirit, you got to do it. Just start little if you have to. But every, the more control you give him, the more he's going to surprise you. I just, every day, I just, I'm just amazed by our sweet Lord. So keep Tom in your prayers. He's not, I'm not giving up on him. Our family isn't giving up on him. And it might turn out that he gets called home. But he and I have discussed it. He knows exactly where he's going to be if he has to check out soon. And if not, I pray for a full recovery so that he can have some, a little more time. Thanks. Amen. Anyone else? Oh, some good information this morning. Let's pray together, please. Heavenly Father, what a good Heavenly Father you are. How much more can I say? You're just fantastic. We use the word awesome in everything we talk about. But you truly are awesome. You fulfill 
the definition of awesome. What a wonderful thing. What a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful God you are. Lord, we, we've talked this morning about and heard about various illnesses, various things that are going on, and various miracles, all related to prayer. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we want to keep Tom in our prayers. Lift him up. Lift the family up. Give Elaine the strength that she knows you can give her. Whatever your plans are for Tom, prepare the family for the good or the bad as far as we look at it. But bless them and bless Tom. Bless Tina and, and Doug with their family and their problems. Miracles do happen, and they're related to prayer again. And not only prayer, but the fact that you listen and you answer prayer. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Just like Claudia said, Lord, prayer is so powerful. All we have to do is believe and expect the things that you are capable of doing never doubting. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we have so many things on our minds and in our hearts. Only you know and that we know what they are. But we can count on you to always hear us, to always be with us, and to always answer prayers. And we realize that sometimes the answers aren't what we would want to have, but you have a plan. You always do, and you're never, never taken by surprise. You leave the surprises up to us. Thank you, Lord. Stay with us, Lord. Let us talk to you. We find it so wonderful that we can come, just like now, just like now, just talk to you, just like we would talk to our earthly father. You are wonderful, and thank you, Lord, for all that you have done. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for our... Better. What day... Uh, I'm sorry, I'm just getting this set up here. What a nice morning. 51 degrees I had this morning when I got up. That was great. Yeah. Yeah, I stepped outside and bugs were moving. I thought, boy, the trout are probably rising. And <laughs> uh, well, let's pray here before we, we open the word. Lord, thanks for this morning. Thank you um, for the sunshine and um, for sustaining us through the night, Lord. You are the source of the breath in our lungs and the beating of our heart, and we give you honor and praise and glory. And as we approach your word this morning, we're seeking to know more about you. We're seeking to learn how we can live our lives in service to you. And so, Father, we ask that you would show us that. And Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence here. Please reveal your truth to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Okay, so we're going to go back to John 4, and um, we are still in the passage with Jesus at the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well. This is a wonderful passage. There's so much in it to preach, and so we're getting close to the end, and we're specifically looking at verses 31 through 38. And so we're going to start with verses 31 to 34. I'm going to read these verses. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And so the first point that I want to make through these verses is that Jesus was on a mission. John says that in the beginning of chapter 4, Jesus left Judea to go back to Galilee. And he stopped at a well in Samaria because he was thirsty. He was tired. And while sitting there, he encountered a Samaritan woman. And Jesus offered her living water. We talked about this. Living water that would satisfy her eternal thirst. And then not long after this... Jesus' disciples returned from buying food in a nearby town. Jesus told them that he has food. The disciples misunderstood what Jesus was saying to them. Jesus offered living water to a woman who came to draw water from a well, and he explained to his disciples that he has food, which they know nothing about, food that is better than which they bought back than which they brought back from the town. He says, My food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to finish his work. Notice that Jesus names two things which make up his food. So it's a two course meal. Number one, to do the will of the one who sent him. And number two, to finish or complete his work. And so I think there are a few questions that we can ask from this verse. The first question is, who sent Jesus? Well, that's a pretty easy answer. God the Father. Remember, we read John 3.17. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. Rather, God did send his Son in order that the world might be saved through him. The second question is, what is the will of the one who sent Jesus? The Greek word that um, John uses, thelema, translates as will in the English language. It means wishing or desiring something to happen so much so that that wish or desire becomes a reality. God created us and we rebelled against Him. And as a result, we were separated from Him. But God's will, His desire for us to be with Him, is so great that He gave His only Son so that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus came to give us the right to become children of God because God desires for us to be with Him 
so much so that he willed a way to remove our sins. The next question is, what work is Jesus coming to finish? Right? He says, I've come to finish his work. So the question is, what work is Jesus coming to finish? I think the answer is the plan of salvation. God chose Abraham. And through Abraham's offspring, God promised that all nations would be blessed. God chose Israel and spoke to them through the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets were pointing to Jesus. Jesus came to finish the eternal plan of salvation. How will Jesus finish that work? How did Jesus finish that work? Well, He finished the work of the one who sent Him by willingly laying down His life on the cross so that we might become children of God. Jesus Christ, our Savior, has finished the work of the one who sent Him by willingly laying down His life on the cross so that we can become children of God. Children who have been born again, born from above, born of the Spirit of God. Children who seek to do His will rather than our own with the lives that He has given to us. I'm going to shift gears here for a second. Anybody own a shovel? Yeah? A lot of people? Yeah. Shovel's a great tool designed to dig in the ground. And, you know, I have a shovel. use it quite a bit. Last summer I bought Luke a small metal shovel. He had a plastic one, but, it, you know, it just doesn't really get into the dirt well. So I had to get him a small metal one. And, you know, when I use my shovel, Luke has to use his shovel. And, you know, oftentimes when I come home from work, he says, Daddy, let's dig. <laughs> and he just loves to dig in the dirt. And, uh, but a shovel does not dig well if it's not being used by someone. In fact, if a shovel is not being used by someone, it doesn't accomplish much of anything. Rather, it just sits in a garage or in a barn. But a shovel that is being used by someone is obedient to the person and does what that person wants. You might say that the food of the shovel or what satisfies the shovel, what gives the, the shovel purpose is being used by someone. In the same way, Jesus was obedient to God the Father. He did the will of God the Father. The food that satisfied Jesus was being used by God to accomplish His will. And so how does this idea compare to our world today? The idea that a fulfilled life is not achieved by doing what I want to do. Rather, a fulfilled life is achieved by doing what God wants me to do. And so I would submit to you all today that an unbelieving world rejects this idea, even violently rejecting it at times. Be your own man. You can do anything you put your mind to. Do what makes you happy. And while these sentiments sound good, they focus too much on the individual person. They might even encourage us to worship the creature rather than the creator. In addition, they overlook an important reality. And the reality is this. Sin 
has infected our world and reigns in our mortal bodies. Paul says to the Ephesians in chapter 2, You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Do you mind if I just pause for a moment? We might have a... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We get that passage in Ephesians? We got that? Okay. And so it seems that the spiritual reality from that passage is this. Rejecting God because... We want to be free to do, excuse me, rejecting God because we want to be free to do what we want to do is no freedom at all because of sin. We might think that by rejecting God we are free, but really we gratify the cravings of our flesh and follow its desires and thoughts. So says Paul in Ephesians. Slaves to sin. We're a shovel that is controlled by sin. But Jesus, our great Savior, was obedient to do the will of God the Father and to finish His work so that we might become a shovel that is controlled by the Spirit of God, doing His work in this lifetime and thus being fulfilled by the good works which God has prepared in advance for each of us to do. We do not make ourselves, we do not create ourselves, and so therefore we are not our own. We can choose to be slaves to sin and to the spirit of this world doing its works, or we can choose to be controlled by the spirit of God and do his good works which he has prepared in advance for us to do. And in so doing, we can be called children of God. And if we are children of God, then as Paul says, we are heirs of his promises. God has prepared works for each of us. His fields are planted and he needs shovels to work in the fields to reap the fruit. And so verses 35 through 36, let's move down here. Do you not say there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes, 
and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. And so the point that I want to make from these two verses is that the harvest has come. Jesus says in verses 35 and 36, you know, again, don't, don't you guys have a saying? You know, this proverbial saying that four months and then comes a harvest? Look, look over here. Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. And so picture the scene with me. Jesus just had a conversation with a Samaritan woman. She ran into town, told everyone what Jesus had said to her. The Samaritans dropped what they were doing, went out to go see Jesus. And as Jesus is talking to his disciples, the Samaritans are walking toward Jesus. And Jesus says to his disciples, look. The seed has just been planted, and the harvest is already here. Years ago, I went to California to see my brother. And while I was there, we just we went past you know, miles and miles of massive cornfields. He was in, where was it? North of, no, Sac- it was between Sacramento and San Francisco. It was really odd. Flew into San Francisco, 50 degrees, drive an hour and a half east, and it's 95. I mean, it was just, it was really bizarre. Anyway, he was out there, and he got to know some of the farmers. And so he learned that they were able to plant a corn crop three times in one year. So in other words, they were able to harvest corn all year long because of the weather. I know there's some farmers in this room. Maybe you would be able to tell me better if that's possible. But it was, yeah, yeah. Right, three times a year. Yeah. And so I know we talk a lot about end times. Are we living in the end times? Some people think that we are. Some people say that we are not. And it's a funny thing when you read history, you find that most generations think that theirs is going to be the last. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong for us to talk about the return of Jesus, but I am saying that no one knows except the Father. What we do know is that Jesus is coming again. Coming again. We also know that His fields are ready for harvest, and He's calling us to work in those fields. And sowing and reaping is a long process. But on this side of the cross, meaning after the resurrection, the harvesting is unceasing. And this was prophesied by the prophet Amos. Chapter 9, verse 13, he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountain shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. In other words, we're living at a time where there is an abundance of planting seed and an abundance of harvesting crop. And so this idea brings us to verses 37 through 38. And the idea here is that sometimes we sow and sometimes we reap. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. 
And so in the immediate context here, it's likely that Jesus is referencing the work that John the Baptist had completed a short time prior to Jesus arriving. John 3, verse 23 says that John the Baptist was actually baptizing in an area that bordered the region of Samaria. And so John labored to sow in that region, and now the disciples were entering into the labor of John the Baptist. From a broad perspective, Jesus is the sower par excellence. He is the ultimate planter of seeds. And he is calling us to work for him. Sometimes we sow and sometimes we reap. The point is this, sowing and reaping is a team effort. The work of God's kingdom is equally important and equally deserving of reward. How are we to accomplish this work of sowing and reaping. Well, the Holy Spirit has given to the body of Christ various gifts to accomplish His purposes. And I doubt that anyone here would disagree with the idea that the Holy Spirit has gifted the church in various ways. What we have trouble with is using our gifts in coordination with other gifts to accomplish the work of God's kingdom. That's always our problem. That was the problem in the Corinthian church. One of the points that Jesus is making in verses 37 through 38 is that sowing and reaping, planting and harvesting, it's a team effort. Years ago, I was in an airport reading a book while waiting for my my flight to take off, and I was traveling, traveling alone, and you know, I was sitting in this you know, very disconnected area of the terminal. You know, I didn't really want anybody to bother me and not really being a good example. <laughs> a, a younger man, younger than myself, he, uh, he sat near me, and it didn't really take him long to comment on the book that I was reading. And he said, well, why are you reading that book? And I said, well, I'm in graduate school. And he said, oh, okay, well, what type of graduate school? And I said, well, it's a seminary. And he said, oh, wow, well, I didn't think you'd read anything other than the Bible. <laughs> so, but after a few minutes, I sensed that our conversation was about to become significant. And long story short, about 40 minutes after sitting down, Webster, uh, that was his name, Webster and I were praying because he wanted to accept Jesus Christ is his personal Savior. Now, did I plant the seed, water the seed, and then harvest the crop in 40 minutes? No, I didn't. In fact, perhaps I was just the nearest shovel that God had available at the moment. But nevertheless, and for reasons that are unknown to me, God allowed me to harvest the fruit. Now, based on the words of Jesus, I know that others came before me in Webster's life. Others sowed the seed, and then others came along and watered the seed, and I just happened to be there when the fruit was ready to be harvested. The joy of the harvest is not only mine. Rather, it belongs to everyone who labors in God's field. In other instances, I have shared the gospel while feeling that I did a pretty good job of explaining the message of Jesus Christ. But I didn't see any fruit. Did I fail in presenting the gospel? 
Should we expect to see someone come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ every time we share the good news? We'd like that, wouldn't we? Studies have shown that it takes seven gospel encounters for someone to make a faith commitment to Christ. Seven gospel encounters to make a faith commitment to Christ. What does that mean? Well, I think that it means there is an abundance of planting seeds and harvesting fruit in God's kingdom, just like the prophet Amos prophesied. There's an abundance of planting seeds and an abundance of harvesting crop on this side of the cross. Now, is there any comfort in knowing that it typically takes someone seven gospel encounters before accepting Christ? Yeah, I think so. I think there's a lot of comfort in it. When we share the good news of Jesus Christ with a person, and that person does not accept Christ on the spot, we can be comforted, comforted in knowing that that person is now one gospel encounter closer to accepting Christ. That means we can be joyful in prayer when thinking of that person. We can be jealous for that person the way that the Lord is jealous for us and the way that the Lord is jealous for that person. Lord, what exciting plans do you have for this person? Please lead them to your truth. So how do we get involved? How do we start planting, watering, and harvesting seeds for eternal life? Well, firstly, and most importantly, we must be in prayer. We need to be in prayer for the lost persons in our communities. We begin laboring in God's field by sowing seeds through prayer. We continue to labor in God's field, watering seeds by sharing our faith. How do we do that? Should we just go up to someone and say, hey, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and I know you don't believe him, and therefore you're going to hell. <laughs> you can do that. <laughs> you might not see much fruit, and in the eloquent words of Biff Tannen, to use a Back to the Future reference, all you might receive is a knuckle sandwich. <laughs> Before people care to know what you think, they must know that you care. That's not my own, those are not my own words. Those are words from, from someone else. But I, I think they are very true. Before people care to know what you think, they must know that you care. How do we let people know that we care? Well, we listen to them. You know, I think Elaine had a great example of Christine listening. When you answered the phone, we listen to people. It's a forgotten discipline, especially in my generation. It's amazing what you can learn about someone simply by listening. Jesus listened to the Samaritan woman, and he knew what she really needed was living water. Jesus listened to the disciples talk about food, and he knew that the food they really wanted was eternal. Thus, he offered them the opportunity to labor in his fields. And so what are we listening for? We're listening for things in another person's life that connects with the gospel and with our testimony. The woman at the well came for water. And so what did Jesus offer her? Living water. The disciples went to buy food, and Jesus said his food is to do the will of God. Jesus listened 
to these people. And he found a way to connect God's message to something they could grasp. I have a dear friend who is not actively walking with the Lord, and I wanted to share the gospel with him. I wanted him to hear the full gospel. I know he's heard bits and pieces, but I wanted to sit down and I wanted him to hear the full gospel. And so I prayed for weeks before getting together with him. And we got together as families, and he and I went down into the basement. And you know, as we were talking, I was listening to what he had to say, and he began to tell me about his work day. He works in the insurance industry, so he was out at someone's home, you know, writing up claims or you know, doing adjustment work. I'm not entirely sure, but he told me about this home and how it was in a state of disrepair. He said, man, there were clothes and dishes and trash. He said it was just disgusting. I don't know how people live like that. And that was my opening. And I said, brother, my life was once disgusting. And off I went into the gospel and shared my testimony. And so perhaps you're saying, well, you know, Ryan, my testimony isn't that impressive. You know, we've all heard these testimonies that are incredible. You know, the murderer who turns to Jesus. The drug dealer who renounces his ways and becomes a pastor. I mean, we hear these incredible testimonies. And while those testimonies are glorious and bring glory to God, in some ways they're not as relatable for the average person. I mean, how many of us have committed murder? You know, how many of us are selling drugs? I mean, it's just, we're just, they're just not as relatable. And so your testimony is special. And God can use it to reach someone. And I, I, I don't want to say that this is a truth, but i got to believe that the more relatable your testimony is, the more people you can connect with. And lastly, we can harvest fruit in God's kingdom by being obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. You know, have, have you ever had that burning sensation inside of you? You know, to speak to someone at a grocery store or, you know, Christine, I see you smiling. You're at a hardware store. You know, you, you know that the Holy Spirit is calling you to talk to someone. And, you know, you become more nervous and you just think, oh, my goodness, what am I going to say? This person's going to think I'm crazy. Now, I found a way to get past those thoughts, that nervousness, that idea that someone will think I'm crazy. And the way that I get past it is this. Hi, my name's Ryan. You're probably going to think I'm crazy. <laughs> Once you open your mouth, the Holy Spirit will lead you. In summary, we can harvest fruit in God's kingdom by being obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit and by knowing God's word and how God has worked in our life so that we can share it with others. And so we covered a lot today, and I just want to briefly recap what we have talked about. Number one, Jesus came on a mission. He was obedient to God the Father to do His will and to finish His work. This is what satisfied Jesus. The spiritual reality is that we can choose to be controlled by sin, gratifying the cravings of the flesh and following its desires and thoughts we can choose to be controlled by God. And only God can satisfy our eternal hunger. Number two, the harvest has come. We're living in the age that was prophesied by the prophet Amos. 
There is an abundance of planting seeds and an abundance of harvesting fruit. And God is calling His workers to the fields. And number three, sometimes we sow and sometimes we reap. Sowing seeds through prayer. Watering seeds by listening to others. Before they care to know what we think, they must know that we care. And harvesting seeds by becoming obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. and Sharing our faith with others. And so I want to invite this congregation. We have a lot of empty seats. Let's be in prayer for the people in this local community that do not know the Lord yet. Let's be in prayer to bring them to us so that we can share the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe that if we are committed to praying, that God will be faithful and will answer our prayer. I want to see that. I want to I stand up here and say to all of you, look what God has done for us. So I want to invite you to pray for those persons that are lost, that do not know the Lord, that are in this local community, in your lives. And let's see them here. I believe we have a hymn. If I knew the number, I'd tell you. <laughs> it's a secret. It's a secret. Number 295. Revive us again. Will you stand with us, please?